Hey there, my fellow travel lovers, globetrotters, jet setters, and everyone else out there who wants to visit Egypt or who is curious about what traveling to Egypt is like. If that's you, if you're interested in exploring one of the most incredible travel destinations on earth, really a bucket list destination for almost everyone on earth, then you have come to the right place and found the right new podcast. This is the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast, where you'll hear us talk all about travel to Egypt everything you need to know, everything you've always wanted to know, and what you really should know before you travel to Egypt but didn't even know to research or Google or even ask about. In this podcast series, we're going to cover everything from the sights and experiences you shouldn't miss out on in Egypt, some obvious, a lot more not so obvious, to a whole lot of practical advice about getting there and getting around. We'll talk about all the different hotel options in Egypt. We've been to almost all of them, stayed in most of them, even lived in a few of them for a while. So we'll share what we honestly think about them. We'll tell you what and where to avoid in Egypt. We'll tell you uh, how to know if you're getting ripped off. Hey, it happens. It does. Um, We'll talk about the do's and don'ts when you're out and about in Cairo and many other parts of Egypt. Um, Later, we'll get into answering reader and listener questions on the podcast, and we'll also interview a few folks who can add some additional perspectives and value to the podcast series, and a whole lot more throughout this uh, throughout this series. So please make sure um, you subscribe to the series. You know, some parts of each episode are going to be structured from the bulleted notes that we have here in front of us to make sure we really cover all the topics we want to cover for our listeners. But a lot more will be just talking off the cuff and sharing experiences and stories and reactions and memories and so on. So you'll want to make sure, like I said, that you subscribe um, and that you really try to listen to all of every episode of the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast because you really want to make sure you don't miss out on any of the incredible insider content and and kind of off-the-cuff stories and advice that we're going to be sharing. So without further ado, that brings me to the first thing I want to talk about at the outset of this podcast series, and that is, what is Egypt Travel Blog and who the hell am I? Okay. EgyptTravelBlog.com is a website I and others like me have about travel to and around Egypt. The site shares, as a tagline says, trusted information, insights, tips, recommendations, reviews, and advice on travel to Egypt from, well, me and people like me. I've lived and worked and studied and played and traveled and gallivanted around Egypt for, God, well over a decade on and off now. And um, I've become a prolific travel writer and commentator on all things Egypt in that time. A couple of other topics in the travel industry too, but specifically on Egypt because I have a lot of experience and expertise in that region. I first moved to Egypt to give you a little bit of background on me in, uh, in 2003, and I lived there for 2003 and 2004, originally while I was going to college there at the American University in Cairo. Um, I was studying Middle Eastern politics and culture back then and learning Arabic. During that time was also the first time that I traveled to most of the sites and cities in Egypt that I would eventually go back to and visit dozens and dozens of times and take uh, many others to see and experience as well. I later started um, and still run a luxury tourism company called Egypt Elite that specializes in taking guests, mostly Americans, to uh, and around the Middle East. And about 80% of that business has been uh, Egypt-based. I used to uh, travel between the United States and Egypt. God, some years every month with groups of clients and would take them all over Egypt in conjunction with our local staff and partners. And I'd be right alongside them the whole time, the whole journey and the whole trip. So I've personally visited Egypt's most famous attractions, including, you know, the monuments and temples and tombs zillions of times. And I really got to know not only the country, but its people and the ins and outs of traveling around Egypt, especially as a Western visitor. 
And there's a different perspective being in and visiting and traveling around the country as a Westerner and a visitor as opposed to being a local. So the uh, Western perspective is very important for other Westerners who want to visit Egypt. So it's really that knowledge that I'm endeavoring to share here. That is, I'm going to try essentially and take my brain and transplant it into your head so that when you go to Egypt, whether it's by yourself or with friends or, hey, with me or with others, you can do so with all the knowledge and expertise and hopefully street smarts about the place that I, for over a decade, have been traveling to and taking others uh, to visit and explore. So I want to talk a little bit now about why Egypt. Why Egypt for me? Why Egypt for so many people around the world who want to come here? Well, I'll tell you for me, it was honestly the sheer volume of sites and experiences to see and have and the unique and distinct places to visit within this one country that originally drew me here. You know, when I first came here back in 2003, I was on a foreign language scholarship that required me to pick one country to study Arabic in and to stay in that country for almost the entire year I was living in the Middle East. And I picked Egypt because of all the places I could have chose to live in the Middle East. Egypt was a place that I could live that would allow me to travel around and see so many different things from so many different historical areas all in one country without violating that requirement not to leave the country I chose to go to. You see, in Egypt, you have obviously the uh, ancient Egyptian civilizations, monuments and treasures, but you also have ancient Rome, ancient Greece here as well. And don't forget Alexander the Great conquered Egypt in 332 BC and established what was essentially a Greek or Macedonian dynasty of pharaohs that ruled the country until it fell again under Cleopatra and the the Roman Empire took over. So in addition to the thousands of years of Egyptian history you have, you you also have Roman amphitheaters and Greek tombs and an incredible unique mixture of multiple imperial artistic and architectural traditions and all that's in addition to, you know, the relics of the Nubians and the Persians and the Byzantines and the Arabians, again, all in one country. Then Egypt still got modern attractions like urban cities, white sand beaches, turquoise seas, coral reefs, deserts, dunes, oases, etc., etc. Oh, and the, uh, the biblical sites, too. I forgot about those over in the Sinai, um, even in Cairo. But you've got uh, churches and monasteries, I think Mount Sinai, etc., And I think you're getting the picture by now, but you've got all this without even leaving one single country. So that's why I chose Egypt, and it's probably at least part of the reason that you want to visit and see and explore Egypt. But there are other reasons, too, why you probably want to go, and some that are good reasons to go sooner rather than later that you didn't even know about. For nearly everyone, Egypt is a bucket list destination because of the pyramids. We've got a whole episode coming up all about the pyramids. I don't want to go too much into that here. But surely seeing these is at the top of your to-do list when you get there. You've probably also been interested in seeing the treasures of King Tut. These are stored in the Egyptian Museum in Cairo, and we've got an entire podcast coming up on that as well. What's amazing, honestly, about this, uh, this guy, King Tut, is he's the most famous pharaoh in all of Egyptian history. But, you know, he was really one of the least remarkable historically. You know, it's just his tomb that wasn't discovered or plundered by grave robbers, so we actually have all of his treasures, unlike those of hundreds and hundreds of other greater pharaohs. But all of his gold and treasures still provide a really fascinating look into uh, real life in ancient Egypt. But we'll get into that later. You know, another reason to go to Egypt right now is the dollar is so strong there right now. You know, when I first lived in Egypt in 2003 and 2004, the Egyptian pound ranged from about maybe five pounds to six pounds to the dollar. You know, if it was really over six, we thought we were winning the exchange rate lottery back then. But in 2012, when I was going back there every month for work with uh, with my travel company, it was about seven pounds to the dollar. 
And when I was there in late 2015, it was up to about eight pounds to the dollar. And now, this is really incredible, by the end of 2016, it was up to over 15 pounds to the U.S. dollar. And that's just insane and incredible if you're a tourist coming to Egypt. That means traveling there and the cost of things in Egypt are so much cheaper than they've ever been. Also because the hordes of international tourists that used to flock to Egypt, sites and monuments to the tune of millions annually, just aren't coming in such great numbers these days. So in some days, when you're visiting the pyramids or tombs and temples, you can just about have the entire thing to yourself, which is absolutely incredible. You know, especially if you go a little bit further down south of the main pyramids complex to some of the lesser pyramids, you're literally the only person around for miles. And it's just a phenomenal experience. You walk around them, go inside them, and it's just silence and solitude. You know, you really just have the whole monument there to yourself with thousands of years and history that it holds. And it's totally safe and secure, by the way. And we'll dive pretty deep into that in a later episode, too. And I'll tell you all about why it's so safe, despite what you may see in some sensationalized media. But anyway, that's the why Egypt part. So let me move on now to what Egypt is actually like, especially for a first-time visitor, if you've never been there. You know, I'm sure everyone knows this, but it bears repeating because it can be a little shocking at first if you're not really ready for it when you get there. But Egypt is a legit developing country still. There are some very nice, very luxurious, very modern parts to it. But the overwhelming majority of the country is still developing. Some say third world, some say developing, whatever you get the picture. Um, there's a lot of poverty and its cities can be very crowded and there's a lot of desperate people. But the people there, I kid you not, they are just so incredibly nice and warm and welcoming and loving. And it's just amazing and heartwarming, really, to see how friendly the Egyptian people are. And hey, guess what? They love Americans. People think all the time that Arabs have so much hostility towards Americans. And sure, some do in some places, but Egyptians are so friendly and so loving towards Americans. They love American culture and music and television and people. And they tell you that a lot when you're there, uh, if they realize you're visiting from America. An important thing to realize, though, is Egypt is still generally a very conservative country. It's an Islamic country, like most countries in the Middle East. Although about 10 to 15% of the population is actually Coptic Christian, but it's still an Islamic country. Now, how that translates practically, though, is obviously in the dress and the customs. Egyptians, like all Arabs, for the most part, dress very modestly. For men, that's mostly long pants. For women, it can range from long pants and a loose blouse to a headscarf covering the hair. That's called a hijab. All the way to full body covering, sometimes even with most of the face covered too. Usually, though, the women are just wearing clothing that covers most of the body along with a hijab to cover the hair. That's pretty, that's the pretty standard dress for them. In some Western establishments, though, like universities or bars, uh, you might see Western dress codes more for men and women, but this is really the exception rather than the rule. It's totally okay for Westerners to dress Western when visiting Egypt. But what's really important is that because of the cultural norms there, even Western women and men, um, but especially for women because of the culture there, are expected to just dress modestly. If you're at the main tourist sites or a major tourist resort hotel, it can be okay to wear shorts, but it's really frowned upon to wear shorts in any other setting out in public or to wear tops that are too revealing. But, you know, at the end of the day, Egyptians are also used to foreign tourists, so it's not too bad of a faux pas if you forget and stray from the norms. It's just important to sort of keep those in mind. So think about those norms when you're packing and getting ready to go to Egypt and deciding what to bring, which brings me to another topic I want to cover in this first episode, and that is when you should go to Egypt. 
Okay, obviously Egypt is hot because it's Egypt. It's BFE. But the summers, seriously, can just be unbearably hot in some places, like down south in Luxor, where the tombs and temples are. Um, it could also be tolerable up in, uh, up in the north, in Cairo and Alexandria, especially along the coasts. So if you can, I would generally avoid June, July, August. But if your choice is between going during one of those months and not being able to go, then definitely go. But just plan accordingly so that you avoid the worst of the heat in the sun. For example, like if you're down south in Luxor visiting the tombs and temples, Valley of the Kings, you'll want to go out of your way to kind of wake up early, get to the sites as soon as they open, and start exploring them in the morning before the day starts getting really hot. In the fall and winter, you can sleep in later and go later in the morning and spend the morning and early afternoon. And it'll be warm but not scorching hot like in the summer. You can still do Egypt in the hot months. Um, and I've done it many, many times in the hot months. But you just have to plan around it and you have to take extra precautions. And it's really important to just kind of be aware um, that June, July, August are really friggin' hot in the South. Pretty much any other month weather-wise is fine. Obviously, the fall and spring um, will still be a little hot, a little warm. And the dead of winter can actually be a little cool sometimes, especially in the north or even cold at night. Um, it rarely rains there, so no need to worry about that. It happens on occasions, but not enough to pack an umbrella or anything like that. You know, actually, when I was first living there in 2003, I used to love to go ride camels out in the desert, or camels, uh, ride horses out in the desert at the end of a long week or month or, you know, just kind of to de-stress, something fun to do. I like riding horses. Um, the desert's a great place out there to uh, to go ride. And... I was riding horses one time in the desert with friends uh, out behind the pyramids because that's where the Sahara starts and it's just open desert from there. And I kid you not, uh, it started to rain. And then a few minutes later, the rain turned to sleet and it started to sleet really hard. And we literally had to take our horses over to the pyramids complex and huddle up beside one of the smaller Queen's pyramids to shield ourselves from the sideways sleet for about 10 minutes until it stopped. It was the most bizarre thing, but I kid you not, it actually sleeted on us at the pyramids once while riding horses out in the desert. There was also another time a couple of years ago when it actually snowed in Cairo, and the pyramids and the Sphinx got a really light coating of snow. You can Google photos of it, and it's really neat to see. It snows there so rarely that I think most Egyptians alive until then, probably if they were older, maybe had seen snow once before in their lives. Uh, and by snow, I mean a few snowflakes forming a very thin layer, not like anything we see in terms of snowfall by any means. But it does happen, but it's rare. Okay, so you want to ideally uh, avoid the summer months, but if not, that's okay too. The important thing is just to go when you can. The other time I'd recommend trying to avoid, again, if you can, is Ramadan. Okay, Ramadan, for those who don't know, is like Christmas for the Islamic world. It's uh, very different in origin and meaning, but at the same time, this time of year is the holy month for Muslims. Yeah, it's a whole month. It's similar to the festive atmosphere of Christmas in the West, and that includes shops closing and special store hours and such. You know, most Muslims also fast during the day during Ramadan, too. So obviously, demand for food drops off drastically during this period. So a lot of restaurants will close or alter their hours to sync up with the decreased demand. And so... Well, after the sun goes down, though, the feasting commences, and you can usually find plenty at night. But because it's a strange time schedule-wise, and things like sites and shops will close early, um, sometimes close down, not the sites, but the shops, and uh, you know just generally have odd hours, it's best to try to avoid the month of Ramadan if you can. 
the exact dates of Ramadan change because it shifts about, I want to say 10, 11, 12, somewhere around their days every year. So you have to Google it to be exactly sure when it is in the year you're looking to go. Right now, um, 2017, it's uh, generally early summer, I think. And within a few years, it'll be in the late spring and it'll continue to shift earlier and earlier every year until it's occurring during the winter months eventually, which is when Ramadan was when I first went to Egypt. If you do go during Ramadan, though, be prepared for a really festive atmosphere. It's actually kind of fun if you can adjust to the closings and time abnormalities. There are lots of lights, lots of decorations, just like Christmas in the West. Oh, and uh, when Christmas time does come around, by the way, in December, you will actually see a lot of hotels and businesses in Egypt decorating for that holiday, too, since about a tenth of the population in Egypt is Christian, uh, Coptic Christian, and since so many foreigners who celebrate Christmas live in Egypt or visit Egypt. So don't be surprised if you're there uh, and it's December and you see Christmas trees up in some places. That's just how it goes. Okay, another topic we should cover is how long one should plan to stay in Egypt when you visit. And part of that depends on how you get there. If you were tacking a trip to Egypt onto a trip to somewhere else in the region, you can get away with a shorter stay and be okay. If you're flying all the way from North America just to go to Egypt, then you won't want to fly all that way and turn around a few days later and fly back. You want to stay a bit longer. So let me start with the shorter trips and work our way to the longer itineraries. If you're already visiting, say, Turkey or Jordan or the Emirates or Israel, and you want to hop over to Egypt while you're already in the region, you'll only be flying a few hours at most, so you won't be worn out when you get there and needing recovery time and having to deal with jet lag. If you just want to do one stop in Egypt, then obviously you have to do Cairo because that's where most of the stuff to see is, including the pyramids. They're just right outside of the uh, city of Cairo on the, well, technically Giza, but they're on the western edge of Cairo's urban sprawl of Greater Cairo. So if you just fly into Cairo, you can spend a day doing the pyramids, a museum. If you stay overnight, another day exploring the city, and then skedaddle. That's about a two-day trip, two-day tack-on trip, uh, meaning two full days on the ground in Egypt, okay? And that's about the shortest you can really see anything, and that's only if you're in the region. If you want to do a short trip and see Luxor too, then I would add on at least an extra day, if not two, to fly down there and see the Valley of the Kings and the temples down in Luxor. Luxor is about an hour flight south. There's an overnight train that you can take too, but please only take that train if you're under about maybe 25 and you're okay with not much sleep and are still into the backpacker lifestyle. I've done it several times, but I was still all those things, and it still sucked. It's not the worst train in Egypt by far. Believe me, I've taken that out in the desert uh, for a couple of days with, you know, goats riding in the bathroom with us. But it's still just not really worth it when flying to Luxor and back is so cheap. It only costs around maybe $200 to $250 round trip. And it gives you so much more time to see things and just be rested rather than being exhausted because you've been up all night on a bumpy train ride. It's uncomfortable. It's 10 hours overnight. And then you still have to do it all again just to get back. So please take my advice and just fly to Luxor and back from Cairo. If you do want to do Luxor in a day, it is possible. You can take one of the early flights out from Cairo in the morning, get there mid-morning, hustle around and see all the major stuff all day, and then take one of the later flights back in the evening. If you don't want to be rushed, though, and you have more time, spending one night in Luxor is actually totally worth it. You'll be exhausted after hoofing it around all day at the Valley of the Kings and uh, down into the tombs and climbing back up again out of them and then walking all around the large temple complexes all day. And after all that, it's honestly really nice just to be able to go back to your hotel and relax and freshen up and have dinner and just relax later that evening. 
You can spread the sites out in Luxor over two days instead, and you can really see everything at a much more leisurely pace. So bottom line is, give Cairo at least two days and Luxor at least one additional day, if not two. So that's two, day, two to four days total uh, for doing Egypt as an add-on when you're already in the region. Now, for those who are flying across the ocean to get to Egypt, you want to stay a little bit longer. Coming all that way for two or three days is crazy. You want at least, uh, at the very least, four days, but preferably five or six days on the ground there. If you have five or six, okay, I'd recommend spending uh, at least two in Cairo, then flying to Luxor and doing an overnight there, and then coming back up to Cairo, and on another day, take a day trip up to Alexandria. If you have longer, you can do an overnight stay in Alex too, uh, but I've done it dozens of times as a day trip, and it's totally okay. I think the only time I've ever actually stayed in Alex more than one night was the very first time I ever visited, and I was actually living there, so we did it as a weekend trip, and that's why we stayed overnight. If you have more than five or six days, you can also add on the Red Sea or the Sinai. I would actually, though, recommend to most people that they avoid the Sinai right now, or at least most of it, and that's because it's become a little bit harder, at least the center and northern parts, for the government to police lately. And, you know, if you're really adventurous and you really want to see, like, St. Catherine's Monastery and Mount Sinai, for example, which are in the south center of the peninsula, you can risk it. But I really wouldn't recommend it for most people right now. I've been there a lot, and it's really neat to experience when it's totally secure. But they've had some issues over the past few years, and so I'd really stick to Egypt proper when, you know, there's already plenty to see and do uh, over on the uh, non-peninsular side of Egypt. If you want to fly to the Red Sea town of Sharm el-Sheikh, actually, which is in the southern tip of the Sinai, that actually would be totally safe to visit. And you can fly there, so you don't have to drive through the rest of the Sinai to get there. But if you want to see the Red Sea, though, you can actually also fly or drive to the city of Hurghada, which is on the non-peninsular side or the African side of the Red Sea in Egypt. You know, most of Egypt is actually in Africa, on the continent of Africa, except for the Sinai, which is on the continent of Asia. But the African side of the Red Sea in Egypt is what I usually call Egypt proper. You don't have to cross over into the Sinai and cross into Asia, technically, across the Suez Canal to get to this part of the Red Sea. And it's just as beautiful. So while Hurghada is the main Red Sea town in Egypt proper. My absolute favorite place to visit on Egypt's Red Sea coast is actually a little resort town about 15 miles north of Hurghada called El Guna. It's way less touristy here or there, and it's much less crowded, and the resorts are much nicer, and the town itself is a lot nicer and, and super cute. So if you make the trek out to the Red Sea, plan to spend at least two full days there, I think, in order to get the most out of that journey. So if you tack on the Red Sea too, that means you'll be in Egypt. I think we're up to about seven or eight days total now. Anywhere from five to eight days is pretty typical for trips to Egypt, even all the way from North America. I wouldn't yell at you for coming over and spending just five days here, as long as they were five full days on the ground. But you'll want to make sure that you hit Cairo and Luxor at a minimum. If you stay longer, you can do Alexandria. You can do the Red Sea. You can even do an oasis. There's actually a small oasis about two hours outside of Cairo called Fayum. But if you really want the real Oasis experience, you're going to have to go uh, further out into the desert, and uh, that's going to tack on an extra, I'd say, at least day or two to accommodate the trip out there. One other major region of the country we haven't covered yet that sees a lot of tourism is the far south of Egypt, around the city of Aswan and Lake Nasser and Abu Simbel, really far south down by the Sudanese border. Aswan is another place you can tack onto your itinerary if you have an extra day or so. 
Aswan's a little pleasant riverside town um, with a lot of Nubian influence. But the main thing people go there to visit in Aswan is the Temple of Philae. But I think the main reason people go all the way down to Aswan is because it's the launch pad for going to see the Temple of Abu Simbel, which is about 200 miles further south of Aswan. And you have to go through Aswan to get there, either by military convoy or by air. It's really far out of the way, but a lot of tourists still make the time to go there because it's such an incredible ancient temple. It was built by Ramses the Great as one of the many monuments to himself during his 66-year reign. So if you want to do Aswan and Abu Simbel, that's got to be at least at least an additional two days, to be honest, on your itinerary because of the logistics of getting to Abu Simbel from Aswan, which we'll talk a lot more about in the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast episode all about Aswan and Abu Simbel. So there you go. And that about wraps it up for this first premiere episode of the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast. If you'd like to reach me personally, you can find me at John. Uh, J-O-H-N, at EgyptTravelBlog.com or at my travel company's uh, website, which is John at EgyptElite.com. We've got so much more fascinating and insightful content planned for you in this podcast series that no one else is going to tell you about when it comes to travel to and around Egypt. So you won't want to miss a single episode. Please make sure you subscribe so you can get them all when new ones come out. If you like having insider knowledge shared with you about travel to Egypt, uh, please leave a comment so that others can find us too. And with that, we will see you in the next episode. 